Hi, this is Severin, and this is Greenhorns Radio. It's Thursday at 4 o'clock, and we're here today thanks to Hearst Family Ranch. And I'm here joined by Lisa Hamilton, who is the newly the author of a book called Deeply Rooted, which is about America's agricultural towns. And um, my name is Severin. I'm the director of the Greenhorns. It's p- pleased to have you here. Lisa, are you there? Hi. Yes, happy to be here, Severin. Um, I'm really thrilled to have you on the show. And um, I wanted to just start out with a um, pretty basic question about your book. Would you mind giving us a little bit of um, an introduction to the, to the project? Not at all, not at all. Um, it is called Deeply Rooted. The subtitle is Unconventional Farmers in the Age of Agribusiness. And it is coming out from CounterPoint in May. Um, we're already getting some good feedback on it, so that's good. Got some good advanced reviews. Um, and it is a narrative nonfiction book. Um, it tells the stories of three farmers and ranchers around the country, um, an African-American dairy farmer in East Texas, and a 10th generation rancher in New Mexico, and a sort of modern um, pioneer family in North Dakota. Um, and it, together, their stories tell the larger story of what's happened um, to farmers in America, how they've been kind of pushed to the sides of agriculture, um, and how there is this new movement of farmers who are um, kind of taking back their leadership role and, um, I guess, proving that humans still matter in agriculture. Um, What really excites me about the book is just the characters and their stories. Um, each person and each farm has um, a pretty unique history behind it. And through hearing their stories, I think you get a whole new perspective on um, what it means to be a farmer and what it means for us to keep farmers in our society. It's wonderful um, to read the the few bits and and pieces that I could read from the website. Um, Lisa has a wonderful website with her photographs and snippets of her book. Um, Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time in the hopeful narratives and, and, you know, traveling around the country hanging out with young farmers who are, Mm -hmm. um, many of them, very, very successfully um, launching careers in agriculture. Um, But that is obviously not the the majority case. where where do you where were you coming from to make this book about kind of um, some of the relics of bad decision making and then the the innovators who are are persisting? Um, well, what was your what was your what was your initial um, focal point for this book? Um, you know, my background is as a journalist. I'm a writer and a photographer, and um, ever since college, I focused on sustainable agriculture as a form of community development. Um, but, you know, that's, I guess, dry can, sounds, it's a dry description of what I really do, which is tell the stories of farmers and ranchers. Um, and it, it's been very exciting to watch the sustainable food system movement um, grow and take on so many different forms um, over the past five years or so. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's reached places that I never would have guessed, you know, from urban gardening movements to places like Pie Ranch in San Francisco, um, where they're, you know, growing wheat and involving, uh, 
at-risk youth in the cities making pies and selling them. I mean, it's just, it's um, amazing how many different forms it has taken, this movement. Um, but throughout, I felt like there was a piece that was being left out, and it was this piece that I've always focused on, which is the stories of um, farmers and ranchers. And uh, my focus has always been on, um, or has primarily been on people who have been in the game for a long time and have managed to stay in um, by, uh, I guess, by um, redefining what it means to be a farmer. I mean, you know as well as I that um, the the role of the farmer in our society has changed pretty drastically over the past you know, however many let's, decades. Let's yeah. unpack that. Let's um, let's let's give a beginner's version of the American farmland and the American farmer crisis of the past thirty or forty years. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, um, <laughs> uh, God, where where even to start? I mean, I think there are there are a lot of facets to the whole story, specifically in terms of farmers. Um, what has happened with industrialization, you know, we see the effects of it uh, through our food safety and so on. Um, but what's happened on the farmer's end is that their um, kind of central role in agriculture has been um, chipped away at. And in a lot of cases now, farmers' role is essentially just to run the machines and buy the seeds and um, do the physical labor of farming, but not really to lead it um, steward the land or um, make wise decisions about resources. Um, and I, the idea behind the book is um, showing three different people who reject that definition of what it means to be a farmer um, and instead are showing through their own, um, their own different ways of doing things that the human contribution is essential, whether that's bringing values to the process and morals um, or, you know, just bringing really smart on-the-ground decision-making that can only be done by a person who is standing, you know, at the edge of that field um, every day of the year and knowing the weather, knowing the resources. Um, you know, these are critical things, especially, especially as we move into a future where all all the rules are going to change because of climate change and um, the loss of critical resources like soil and water. Um, so I want to get into this story, one of the stories, but, um, but so let's start there. But then I'd also love for you to tease out a few of the strategies that you're seeing, um, particularly as those strategies relate to young farmers, people who are either just getting started or about to start um, their agricultural career. Um, we all look mm -hmm. to Joel Salatin and Elliot Coleman and, and other kind of great eccentric um, radical farmers who each have their own flavor and own um, strategic pathway um, to make a professional and dignified life out of agriculture. Um, mm -hmm. what, are the, what are the strategies that you were able to see um, in the lives that you traced? Mm. Well, you know, um, the truth is I started out writing about strategies and about um, techniques, and the more I talked to people, the more I realized that um, the story that I really wanted to tell was less about, uh, less about the way that people farm than about the way that they 
think about their farms. Um, and, you know, honestly, the, the young farmers that I see out there, particularly, you know, I live out in California, um, there's a, a really vibrant community of young people in agriculture out here, um, and particularly people who are coming to it from a sort of food systems perspective and not from, um, you know, not out of the farm community. Um, they have they have a pretty fresh perspective on what it means to be a farmer. They feel pretty empowered and um, proud and dignified because they've, I guess that that's kind of their first conception of what it means to be a farmer. Um, they aren't kind of saddled with this, I don't know, with... Um, there's a lot of baggage. Preconception of what There's I mean. a lot of exactly. ego that gets exactly. disguised in agronomy and a lot of agronomy that gets mixed up and fuddled around with ego, it seems like. Right. Well, and I, and I think, um, yeah, they don't have, you know, generations of loss um, that's weighing down their concept of what it means to be a farmer. I mean, I think the the challenge of that is that... Um, it, it eventually has to meet up with the challenges that are inevitable in being a farmer, whether that's, you know, just having a sore back from working day after day in the field or um, facing some real financial challenges, even with, the, you know, the strength of green markets in New York City and um, so on. It's still as much interest as there is in the local food movement um, it's still a struggle to be a farmer. So I guess that's the, that's the challenge that I see for young farmers is um, finding a way to um, reconcile the very um, exciting, positive sense of what it means to be a farmer, the sense of possibility with, um, you know, the challenges that come along. And, um, you know, I think that a, a, an important element um, in resolving that and making these young farmers' uh, ambitions possible and sustaining them is this conversation between those farmers, all farmers really, and um, the communities around them. And that's what I was intending to do with this book was to, um, I guess, bring bring people into the conversation about food from a different perspective. Um the farmer's perspective, the really personal side of the farmer's perspective, and hope that that then would lead to um, a conversation. And Yeah, oh, um, I, that really resonates with me in my, um, in my work, you know, as a young farmer and, and in speaking with so many young farmers, it really becomes clear that um, telling the stories of the young farmers and championing their work um, through the film and through press and, you know, by getting that um, real professional bravery that they're demonstrating to be respectable. Um, uh-huh. You know, there comes along with that, you know, rock star um, status, a responsibility to seriously acknowledge the major challenges that we face and, you know, that I personally face and that all my friends personally face. You know, conceptually it makes so much sense for young farmers to succeed and for these people who are spending their lives um, interfacing with the planet to make food for their communities. You know, they're really um, heroic citizens, and they deserve our respect, but we have to also understand the structural obstacles that um, they face. And, you know, I felt like my work couldn't just be about championing. It definitely also had to be about 
political action to help change those structures so that mm. we could have the structures that we need, educational, cultural, um, economic, and, um, and land structure, and, you know, the land base. Mm-hmm. We need those things to succeed, and, and to succeed to feed America, it's a pretty strong imperative. So I really, um, I really hear that because so many people are, you know, with us on, on a superficial level and, you know, are, are literate in local food and, you know, buy local food occasionally or even um, most of the time. Um, but it does really seem that, that the reclaiming of our landscape is happening, you know, one person, one community, one enterprise at a time, and that really requires deep commitments and reforging relationships that have been rendered asunder um, by our modern society. Absolutely. You know, you, um, you brought up an issue uh, before, we, before we got on the air, um, talking about uh, whether recruitment was going to solve this problem of attrition um, from the countryside. And I was thinking about it, um, I think right in line with this idea of young farmers kind of taking the good with the bad and um, going into it knowing that there will be both. Um, I think there's another uh, essential piece that can get lost um, because of this estrangement uh, between urban communities where a lot of young farmers are coming from um, and more conventional, traditional agricultural communities. Um, I think it's really an essential piece that um, the the greenhorns um, link up with the people who are already in agriculture. Um, there's such a um, there's such value in the exchange between the two groups. Um, so often, I think the the two groups seem kind of at odds. Um, they can feel like threats to one another, or they just it seems like they have no common ground, but there's, um, I think each group, each, each, of the, each side of the conversation really brings um, a lot to it. You know, the greenhorns um, bring this sense of possibility to agriculture, to thinking about agriculture, that a lot of people who um, have been in ag all their lives and have kind of always been on the losing side of it, um, they have ceased to believe that there is, you know, possibility in agriculture. And um, I think of uh, one of the farmers in the book, Harry Lewis, who's a dairy farmer in East Texas. Um, and he's an organic dairy farmer. He's part of Organic Valley. Um, and through that, he was invited to the Community Food Security Coalition um, meeting in Atlanta, Georgia. And, you know, he's been on a farm all his life. He's in his 60s. Um, and he suddenly found himself in Atlanta surrounded by, um, by enthusiastic young people who cared deeply about exactly what he was doing. And I remember him telling me that it was, um, it was rejuvenating and uh, electrifying to, be, to, to find out that there was this whole group of people who actually cared about what he was doing and were also trying to do it themselves. Um, at the same time, I think there's a, um, coming from the other side, I think that the people who, you know, have grown up in agriculture, who have been um, in the business business for decades, um, they have a lot to share with young farmers um, about a whole range of subjects, you know, from 
um, where to get your, you know, your um, irrigation equipment fixed um, to, you know, how the weather works in the area and um, experience with water that goes back, you know, 40 years. Um, there's, there's so much information that both sides have to contribute, and I think building that conversation is an essential part of um, building the whole agricultural community uh, and making it something that's stronger because of all this recruitment um, and all of this uh, exciting um, new blood in agriculture. Yeah, well, and we're so lucky as new blooders um, to have a lot of really engaged, really passionate um, elders, especially in the organic movement, who are, you know, ready to ready to embrace us and, and incubate us and lend us their tractors. I um, I'm in an area. Um, well, my landlord actually has nurtured my my project and my my farm start tremendously, and you know, answers questions that I don't even have yet. And you know, and and carefully, and without, you know, imposing his opinion, you know, gives me a, a sense of what's going to happen next, and what should I look for um, next. And um, but there are also young farmers emerging in places where that agricultural community is really um, worn thin, almost to the point of collapse. And you know, the agricultural fairgrounds and newspapers and the tractor supply stores and co-ops and um, don't exist anymore, and which is, mm-hmm. seems to be what, a little bit of what you were describing in your book, the kind of relic um, economies that mm. are, you know, a wasteland for new initiatives because there, there isn't that wisdom and that knowledge and that density of experience that can be shared. But at the mm. same time, um, in that void, there does seem to be opportunity for for young people, you know, to get affordable land and, and um, you know, literally just butcher shops that are, you know, fully equipped and, and standing empty in towns across America that I've mm-hmm. you know, driven past. Mm-hmm. Tell me if you think that that's overly optimistic to think that those are places also where, um, where there's a venue for opportunity. I, th- I think you're absolutely right that there is um, a tremendous opportunity there. I mean, there is... If you can find an area that has um, land that is affordable, which, you know, maybe not in Iowa, but um, certainly in North Dakota, you could find um, rich land that a young person could um, afford. I mean, I think there are challenges of finding markets and so on that, you know, anyone involved in um, the smaller-scale farming is aware of. I think the greatest challenge, though, is the it, it, it's not so much the lack of I guess it goes hand in hand with the lack of um, of kind of industry and that is the lack of kind of cultural structure there. Um, I think a lot about how the story of agriculture in America has been kind of condensed over. Um, you know, the past few decades, the farther away we get from um, the emptying of the countryside, the more uh, the story of it gets condensed into, you know, just a couple of quick facts that everybody accepts, which is, you know, agriculture is sort of an artifact of pre-modern society, and as we moved into a modern society, it just became, um, you know, financially unsustainable, and 
the countryside was boring, and so everybody left. And um, at this point, you know, my generation and the generation that's growing up now um, thinks, you know, that's just what happened. Um, when you look at it more closely, it, it's a lot more complicated than that. You know, as you know, um, the industrialization of agriculture meant that fewer and fewer people were needed. Um, and so you have, uh, you know, really thriving rural America. Suddenly um, the main industry doesn't need the people anymore. And um, just like it's happening in the developing world all over all over the world now, um, you know, people leave because they have to work. Well, what happens is you have this um, attrition uh, from rural America is that you lose the people that are essential to keeping the, um, the communities together and the cultural life. Um, it's probably hard for most people who were born, you know, past, I don't know, after 1960 um, in this country. If they didn't grow up in a rural area themselves, it's probably hard to imagine that rural America, you know, has... Was a fun uh, place to be. Past. Yeah, I mean, it's had its own kind of intellectual culture and it's... Um, its own, you know, community organizations and so on. Um, and now, you know, you don't have enough people for schools, for you can barely hold a church together, um, much less, you know, like arts and cultural organizations. Um, so I think getting back to your original question, I think the real challenge for young people who want to take advantage of these opportunities that exist in rural America, wherever they are, you know, whether it's North Dakota or just, um, you know, eastern California, maybe three hours from the Bay Area, um, at the same time that you need to, you know, young people are going there and wanting to build, um, you know, a small kind of infrastructure for agriculture, they also need to... um, somehow built a cultural life there. And that's really hard, especially when, um, you know, you're spending all day, every day, just trying to farm. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and trying to farm and finding the expectations on your time, you know, to just escalate as you succeed and feed more people. Then, mm-hmm. you know, the, ex- the expectations are also greater and greater, and then you have your own children, you know, your, the farm tour and educational aspect. And... Outreach and um, talking about what you're doing and advocacy, uh, political engagement. I mean, it's a lot of things to ask of one person, and it seems so much that, to me at least, that the idea that we've had the icon, the very um, thin icon of the farmer with his pitchfork in front of his Gothic barn mm-hmm. with his wife and his septic system is so outdated um, for this for us. For us now, and 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 really a bad model for what works in that process. It seems much more that the team farming and kind of clusters of young people who have different um, um, aptitudes working together. Um, some of them, you know, doing the, the marketing and processing and um, other farm functions and figuring out the new kind of social configurations you know, very different from the kind of commune configurations of the 70s, um, but but certainly more kind of entrepreneurial teams than, you know, isolated uh, pioneer families. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what's 
so exciting to see um, these clusters. Oh, hello, I think I'm lost around the country. Hello? Okay, I guess we're going to take a break for some music, and we'll figure out if we can, if we lost Lisa or if she's coming back to us. 